stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and I'm joined this week by Zach Senior Strategist, Kevin Cook, to discuss what else the market sell off. What do you need to do to survive it? If Should you do anything? I don't know. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in the stock market right now. And Kevin, I was just mentioning before we went on to record this podcast that I always bring you on because you do bring a sense of calm and I don't know, it's like comforting when there's these sell-offs. Yeah, you know, it's always fun to be on with you during the corrections. (laughs) Um, And it's not like, you know, I mean, I've only been in the markets a little over 20 years myself, so I haven't seen everything. Yeah. But, but I listen to a lot of people who have been around longer than I have. And, and when they see the same things sort of repeat themselves in the markets, in the cycles, and in, you know, extremes of human behavior, you kind of get an idea of what to expect. And you don't do dumb things with your money. <laughs> right. Right. That's what we want to avoid on this episode is that's why I'm titling it, you know, how to survive it, because I feel like people could be panicking or doing something that they might regret later. So we're going to cover some of that. But first, I wanted to go over kind of where this, the major indexes are right now. So in the last month, the S&P 500 is down about 6.8% or so when we're recording this. And um, that's not even the worst one, though. The NASDAQ's down 7.7, and the Russell 2000, the small caps, are really, really taking it on the chin now. They're down 10.7 in just the last month. So that's, you know, that's a decent pullback there, but we're not yet into any kind of bear market territory, at least with the major indexes. But isn't the real problem here that, a lot of the stocks that we all own are in bear markets. Well, I, you know, that's what hurts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially, but, and, you know, so you were talking about where we are as of today. And it looks yeah. like I'm just looking at a performance chart for a year to date. As of yesterday, the Dow and the S&P were holding on to a little bit better than 2%. So on today's October 23rd, on today's big flush down, they basically went negative for the year for, you know, a few moments yeah. and, and are trying to bounce back. Um, and that, that can be pretty scary for people when they see all, you know, the whole year gives up its gains after what was such a strong year. And historically, when you have, when you have the first three quarters of the year strong, it it always makes for an even stronger fourth quarter. So we get that seasonal Q4 rally, um, and now people are scratching their heads. And you, and you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of fear out there. Well, if you, if you listen to anybody on social media, and when I say anybody, <laughs> I mean there's a lot of voices out be. there. It could be yeah. anybody, literally. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Um, you could get a sense of this panic, like the bear market is coming yeah. um, and that kind of thing. But that's when people really need to step back and look at, uh, you know, cycles and what typically happens. The, the economy is nowhere near a recession. So this, that means this probably isn't the start of a bear market. It's just a garden variety correction that, you know, and even though we just had one in February, 
It doesn't mean we can't have one again because stocks went went ahead and made new highs again. Yeah. And and there's a little bit of doubt about the rate of growth. Um, economists and investors are, you know, looking at the tremendous growth we've had in earnings in the economy and going, you know what? That's pretty good. And it can't keep up the same pace. And it's definitely not going to. You know, we we had a, a over a four percent print for GDP on an annualized basis, but we're not going to repeat that again anytime real soon. And so GDP slips back a little bit, and then maybe earnings expectations slip back a little bit, and that's part of the reason the market is correcting. Does that go with the theory that we're at peak earnings, and so it, it can't get any better, as you just said? So why am I, why am I in it? What, what's peaking is the rate of growth. Okay. The actual aggregate earnings haven't peaked yet. Um, and estimates for 2019 are that the S&P uh, could earn over $170 per share. Wow. Now, now if that's too optimistic, um, even if that comes down, you know, things – you know, let's do a valuation thing. We'll do just a simple P.E. on the S&P 500. And, um, and you know, the institutions and, you know, places like Vax and FactSet and Bloomberg, they all calculate what the earnings are for the S&P 500. And, and the average estimate is somewhere between $170 and $175 for 2019. Well, if you take the S&P where it is right now at $2,700 um, and you, you know, you, you create that PE multiple, that's pretty cheap. Let me just do that real quick because I... I didn't calculate that one. So we'll just take 2700 and we're dividing by, we'll say $170 to keep it conservative. Um, that's a P.E. of under 16, a forward wow. P.E. ratio of under 16. And um, large investors have models that they plug this stuff into. They plug in GDP. They plug in interest rates. They plug in valuations. And for them, if interest rates are still relatively low, and the economy is still growing. You know, if we've got 3% GDP, or 3% tenure, um, and you can pay under 16 times for forward earnings, they'll do that. So that's why some institutions are buyers here down here at 2700 And they probably took some profits up higher. Um, but they're not. But the institutions aren't panicking because they're more quantitative about it. Yeah. And, and it's possible, like I said, that if the rate of growth is peaking and Analysts and investors have to say, "Well, wait a minute. Maybe those maybe those uh, estimates for 2019 are too optimistic. Maybe the S and P is not going to earn, you know, 175 or 170. You know, and that's going to come down to 165. Well, even at a so at 165 dollars, the PE is still 16.4. And and since the expansion, the economic expansion isn't over, it usually means the bull market's not over. So. It's, it's very possible we could make new highs in the next three months in the S&P. If the S&P goes to 3,000 and earnings estimates are stable, then, you know, you've got a P.E. of, let's say, just over 18 times. And that, has, that sounds rich, but historically, that's not when bull markets peak. 
Well, that sounds pretty optimistic to say we could have a new high in the next three months when everybody else is out there saying the doom and gloom is here. <laughs> um, a depression is coming. That's what I've been told today. A global depression is on its yeah, way. Yeah, you know what? There's a chance of a depression, but <laughs> I think it's about a 3% chance. Yes. Yeah, it would and be there, very and there, low. And there's, and there's also a chance of a recession, which is sure. which would be much more mild. Yeah. And I would put the chances of a recession right now in the big picture at, you know, 10 to 15%. In 2019, would, you're talking here? Yeah. Yeah. It would take some kind of shock um, and, you know, a shock to the economy that's really going to bring down those earnings estimates and make large investors run away. And right now, the what is the market worried about? Well, it's worried about rising interest rates. It's worried about emerging markets selling off huge. Yeah. Um, it's worried about tariffs and trade battles. And maybe the midterms, you know, uh, you know, the whether whether, you know, the majority flips in the House or the Senate, um, I don't think is that big a deal because there's still so much that's unpredictable. But it just creates uncertainty in the short term. So uh, but interest rates are still relatively low. And it just it just makes large investors more cautious if they have to if they're doing some reallocating now, like, OK, maybe we do shift some to bonds. And earn that three and a quarter percent, and and we take less risk in, in stocks until they until they get cheaper. And a lot of stocks are getting cheaper. You know, you asked me about uh, you know stocks getting hit. You know, not yeah. everybody can predict the, the correction. Um, I'm looking at I've got a lot of stocks reporting earnings this week, and I had one this morning. I have uh, on a company called Centene, which is an HMO, uh, a managed care provider. And I had 100% gains in the stock, and then they report solid earnings and guidance this morning, and the stock is down, you know, 15%. Wow. Um, and, you know, so I give up a big chunk of gains. And, yeah. yeah, I thought about selling it, but it's a long-term holding for me. So I guess I'll just ride this out, um, and hopefully the market comes to its senses and buys quality companies like this. Yeah. What's the ticker on Centene? CNC. Okay. And is that they're in the similar as United Health Group and those guys, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're all competitors. Yeah. UNH, United Health Group also reported already and it's down off of its highs, even though that was a really solid report from UNH too. But they're still up 17% year to date because I, I looked because I feel like that group is a place to kind of hang hide out, even though yours is down 15% on this earnings, but you were still said you were up big, right, on it. And yeah, yeah. and some of these, the fundamentals are still really good and the valuation is still attractive on these stocks. Yeah. And I should correct myself. Centene is only down 5% today. Okay. But, but, but off the highs. Peak, yeah. Yeah. Because things started selling off, obviously, in October. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like the I like the health insurers a lot as a place to kind of hang hang out or hide out, I feel. And I like some of the property insurers too. Like Progressive, I own that in the value investor and that they already reported as well another good solid quarter and the shares are just kind of hanging out. They're not going up or down, but um they're trading near their highs as well and I feel like when all of this um, angst passes that some of these are a good place to be, and that progressive ticker is PGR for those one. Yeah, and 
you know, that's the thing. It's like um, corrections are often hard to predict. I've been calling for some type of correction since late August. Yeah. And it, it never showed up. The market just kept grinding higher. Well, finally we got it. Um, but you always kind of have to plan for it. You know that, uh, you know the saying by uh, the boxer, Mike Tyson? He says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't agree with that. Now, maybe that's true for boxers. Yeah. But there are groups of professionals in different industries who do have a plan yeah. that helps them when a shock comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and the, pe- the people that uh, I grew up in a, in a family of pilots, and pilots definitely always have a contingency plan. Yeah. I would say, I would say a surgeon does. I don't think a surgeon goes into the operating room and thinks, oh, everything's always going to go perfectly. Sometimes right. things go wrong, and you, you better hope your surgeon has, a, has a, a plan B and a plan C if things, uh, if things start to, uh, to get yeah. scary. Um, and then traders and investors need to have a plan B and a plan C, like just contingencies, like what could happen, you know, and where is my risk? And if the market does hand me this gift out of nowhere of a 10 to 15% correction, what's on my shopping list? What right. stocks do I want to buy that are down 20% or 40% because the market's acting irrational? I mean, the market acts irrational in both places. It, it, uh, extremes of optimism can be irrational, and then extremes of pessimism. And professional investors make money buying and selling those extremes. Yeah. What does that mean for the cyclicals then? Because a lot of people are in those. Like I'm thinking like the semiconductors, especially a lot of people were hanging on in the recent weakness. And now, you know, some of them have hung on to be in the red for the year. Yeah, well, that, I'm definitely in that camp, too, because I, uh, I, I own NVIDIA and thought I was on my way to new highs above 300. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and then it's given it all back. So I'm feeling that pain. Should, um, should people and, be getting in here? If they aren't in it or adding I, I to the position, be very selective. Okay, you know, it would be like um, I mean, I could I could advise people which semiconductors I buy, but um, you know, but there's other cyclical areas where I'm not sure which home builder to buy. Right, uh, right. You know, maybe you have better ideas about that. So I think you have to really do your homework, and you know, you know, the the, the semiconductors do go through these corrective periods. You were telling me about yeah. housing, how housing has, you know, sort of its own cycle. And semiconductors have sort of fought off um, the idea that, the, you know, this top is in, this, you know, this, the cycle top is in. And, but then we're still having this 15 to 20% correction for the semis. And I think it's a buy. I think, I think if the, the semis correct 20% here, which they probably are by now. Um, that there are things you could buy, like an NVIDIA or a Micron. Okay. Um, what about Chinese stocks? I get asked about them a lot. Ooh. They're, they're yeah. off big here, but there's I mean, a lot of unknowns with those. Yeah, well, it, it seems like there's a lot of unknowns with the Chinese economy. And, you know, I, I've tried to, well, I do own Alibaba just because I've always thought that they're a, a key player, sort of the Amazon of China. But if... The Chinese economy is under its own sort of stress or stagnation. Yeah. Then, you know, the valuations are just being stripped down in all those stocks. Right. It would be more like a value trap at that point. Okay. Well, 
those are some to keep an eye on, I'm sure. And um, on another note of hot stocks, what about the pot stocks? Those have been <laughs> those have been holding up. I had to go look to see kind of what they were doing. They were holding up pretty good, but then over the last five sessions, like canopy growth is down twenty percent in the last five sessions. But even other ones that I I kind of like that actually do have earnings, innovative industrial products, which is that REIT that I've talked about before on various podcasts. That ticker is IIPR, and they own the buildings where in the United States where you can grow medical marijuana. And those shares are down 7% over the last five sessions as well. Looks like, you know, some profit taking there. But could this be a buying opportunity in some of those names or is it, you know? You know, I'm going to have to recuse myself on this one. Okay. I run a healthcare portfolio, which keeps me plenty busy trying to keep up with the latest science and what companies could do what. But the one area I have just stayed completely away from, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, is is marijuana and the pot stocks. It's just like, as an investor, you only have so much time in a week to do research, and I I haven't even opened that Pandora's box because I just, I don't have time. So um, I have no opinion, and I just stay away, and I hope that somebody else figures it out. Maybe uh, Gilead Sciences will buy uh, a yeah. medical marijuana company or something. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Now, isn't that a good point, though, is that there are a lot of places investors can be investing or, you know, there's tons of different industries, sectors, all of that. And there isn't one winner necessarily. <laughs> like, just because you're in one area doesn't mean you're missing out. Because I get that all the time. Like, oh, if you don't buy whatever it is, the pot stocks, then you're a loser. You know, like people are always <laughs> like, you don't know what you're doing, but there's a lot of ways to be a successful investor and you can't really be in everything and, and have yeah. knowledge on everything. So I think there's something to be said for focusing on what you do know. Yeah. I mean, try and master a, a few areas if you can, and then you know, index the rest maybe. Yeah. You, know, you just, you have some exposure in some mutual funds or some ETFs that can give you coverage in broad areas during a bull market. Um, and then, yeah, you really, you almost have to specialize if you're going to be a stock picker. Um, you know, you yeah. could pick, you could pick one stock from each industry, but then there's still the chance that you're going to be wrong. So, right. um, you know, the more homework you do and, and the more you get to know an industry, I think the better off you are. Okay. And another industry that's kind of been beaten up here in this sell-off is the banks. And I hear a lot of angst about the banks hitting (laughs) lows because people, it's kind of like a flashback back to 2008 for the older investors remembering about how the banks were really hit hard. And when they, when you see headlines like banks hitting new lows or the regional banks are down, you know, 10% or more, then people start to have these like flashbacks back to what happened in the Great Recession. And I feel like that's not really the response that should be here. But I mean, it is somewhat strange that the banks are selling off here to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a long-term chart and I see that the, uh, the XLF, which is the ETF that tracks the financial sector, the Spider XLF, um, it almost got back to its 2007 highs, which would be like um, 
like almost $31, that ETF, and it, and it just got up to 30 so it couldn't even get back to its 2000, 2007 highs. And, and, you know, I think part of it is that in, in 2017, the banks really took off because uh, the yield curve was starting to steepen, you know, and that's obviously good for banks because they earn that, they capture that net interest margin. Um, and, but maybe rates aren't going as fast as everybody thought, and so that was just kind of a pile in trade. And and now when there's some caution about, oh, the economy has now grown as fast as it's going to grow, then this is the first area to sell. And it's kind of related to housing, too, don't you think? I mean, you look at the housing stock closer than I. What do you see there? Well, I mean, the housing stocks have just been crushed down, maybe similar to what the autos are doing. And I, I believe it's over oversold now and it's like the panic is too great yes the rates are rising so that means mortgages are more expensive but i listened to the Pulte conference call this morning because they just reported earnings and they went through the issues that they are seeing they they had they had a big rise in traffic in the third quarter and it increased as the quarter went along so it wasn't like oh rates went up we better not go look at those houses people are still looking and they want to buy but then they do run the numbers with the higher rates plus the record high house price. And now they're a little, they are getting a little jittery about, can I make that payment or am I comfortable with that? But inventory is still low on housing. They're not overbuilding. So there isn't this, um, you know, uh, cutting uh, with a lot of promotions. They're not cutting prices, not yet. That may happen as we go into 2019 because it is going to be supply and demand with the home builders. If enough people are priced out, they kept talking about the affordability issue. So if enough people are, then you know they have to adjust to what the market is telling them. But the, well, so that that hurts the home builders. Yes, but it but it doesn't tell you that the economic expansion is over no. because there's right. still not enough housing supply, right? Right. The inventories are still really low. And so they're not seeing, you know, a pullback um, in, in a really big pullback in who is buying, uh, let's just say. So like the banks are not necessarily um, not servicing, you know, as many mortgages. It's dropped maybe slightly, but it's not like some huge, like it's fallen off a cliff or anything for the banks, for that business. But I think part of the problem for the banks on the mortgage side is, was the refinancing. Like that is basically done now. <laughs> so they, they made a lot of money off of refinancing. So that's where they're, they're getting hit. But the home builders, yeah. And I think, as you said earlier, it does depend on which one you're talking about for the home builders and like where they're building, what states they're in, how high our prices there. Like Pulte has a lot of developments in Northern California, and they talked about how those those did really slow in the third quarter because with the rising rates and those really sky high prices there, they they are seeing a slowdown. But some other areas not not the same kind of situation like the Midwest or even in Texas where the prices aren't quite so high. And then they actually have a really big business in the active um, adult active communities. That's what they build too. And so those are the baby boomers who are retiring now. And they said 40% of those buyers are paying cash. So <laughs> they don't even care about rising mortgage rates for those buyers. So yeah, you with the home builders, I think you do have to look 
um, at each one in particular, but the whole group is being priced as like the doom is here and, you know, no, no houses are going to be sold when the job market is still really good. And, and they said about rising rates too, they tried to kind of soothe everybody on the call. I, th I feel to some extent, those who, you know, the analysts who wanted answers to the panic that's out there, but um, they, they did say that people, they are seeing a segment of people who already own a home and they're, they're they have like a 3.5% mortgage rate and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to give up that rate to get the higher rate and buy the new right, house. Right. right. So that, that is happening, but they said eventually they'll give up the rate because they will need to move and buy something else for life reasons. So they had, uh, uh, you know, more kids and they need more space or they had a job change and have to move cities or like all these other things could happen where they, they really finally say, eh, oh, well, we won't get the low rate anymore and they have to do it. So, uh -huh. so we'll see, we won't really won't know until probably fourth quarter earnings. And that's when they'll start giving guidance for 2019. But a lot of the analysts have seen this cycle with the home builders. It usually does get pretty pessimistic after the summer in, in the home builders in general. And this year we're seeing the extreme pessimism, but I think we're going to see like a nice rebound in, in these stocks as soon as people realize that we're not going into an imminent recession, like, you know, within the next quarter or two. So... Yeah, and, and on that idea, like, what else can people look at? I mean, to figure, you know, instead of just taking my word for it that the economic expansion is still strong and the economy can grow at 3%, you know, keep an eye on the data. Yeah. Uh, don't just look at GDP. Look at, like, the ISM manufacturing number. Um, look at small business confidence, the NFIB, NFIB survey. Um, and, and then regarding interest rates, like, People get the idea that, oh, what is the Fed going to do? Is the Fed going to keep raising interest rates and, and uh, make the economy stall? Well, here's the thing. There's no uncertainty there. Uh, large investors have known for the past six months that the Fed is going to raise a quarter point every quarter through 2019. So it's like there's no uncertainty there. Large investors know what to expect. Are, does that concern them? Like, if we've hit some kind of peak growth, does it concern them that that the Fed funds rate is going to rise to 350 basis points, 3.5% by the end of 2019? Maybe. Yeah. But that's still pretty low. And it, it's a known. There's not – I mean, the, the right. Fed is really transparent, as we talked about before. So, um, you know, they've, they've got that visibility when they plug that into their models. And it's just that they're willing to let uh, stocks get a little cheaper before they pile back in. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and I would say, in, in my personal view, is that we're in the lower third of this correction. I don't see the S&P 500 going below 2,500. So I, I'm, I'll be nibbling into this lower third of the correction. And, you know, I can't guarantee when new highs are coming, but I'm, but I'm, you know, I have about like a 65% probability that we'll see new highs in the next three months. Okay. And do you think we'll keep this volatility into the midterms then? Yeah. Yeah. For the next couple of weeks here, okay. yeah, things are going to be kind of shaky. Because like, what, um, you know, unless things got really cheap, like if we have another big down day like we had today, um, you know, that, I mean, buyers will come in for that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if, we just, if we just chop around here now between 2,700 and 2,800 again, uh, 
you know, then it'll kind of be a wait and see. Uh, and, and it's not like the, again, it's not like uh, the House or the Senate flipping, you know, makes that much difference for policy. Right. It's just that short-term uncertainty. You know, we know there's going to be contested elections and yeah. and uh, and that kind of thing. So uh, it, it's it's almost like waited out. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so okay. we'll be volatile for the next two weeks. Well, this has been a good discussion. I hope it helps some people out there who are wondering what should I do, if if anything. Some people, the answer is do nothing. Others, it's, it'll depend on what their goals are. And as you have said many times on this podcast, that you should have a plan. So hopefully this gives some investors and traders some ideas. But let's recap some of the tickers that we talked about today. So there was Centene, which is CNC. We had United Health Group, UNH. If the pot stocks interest you, there's Innovative Industrial Products, IIPR, which also pays a very nice dividend. So check that one out. Um, you mentioned Alibaba, BABA, NVIDIA, NVDA. Micron is MU, and it's now with the forward PE under four for Micron again. And Polte for the home builders is PHM. So be sure to subscribe here on um, the Apple podcast to get all of the Zach's Market Edge podcast because you don't want to miss a single one, especially during these kind of volatile investing and trading times. So you can subscribe on Apple and you can also get us on SoundCloud, but be sure to get us somewhere so you don't miss a single episode. I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. <laughs>